Hello and welcome to the National Leprechaun Museum's Talking Stories podcast. Your home for Irish folklore, mythology and all things storytelling. Hello ladies and gentlemen, you're almost horrendously welcome to episode 78 of the National Leprechaun Museum's Talking Stories podcast. I am, of course... Paddy Holly, and I am joined by the marvellous, the splendiferous Miss Leanne Bickerdyke. How are you doing today, Lenny? I'm good. How are you? I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad. Uh, the weather is fine outside. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of work to be doing yeah. uh, with the uh, new museum to open and, of course, the Halloween uh, production uh, being developed here. Mm-hmm. So we're busy, busy people. Um, we've decided uh, in this episode that we're going to talk about a topic that is on everyone's mind at the moment. We're going to talk about the rental crisis in Ireland. Of all things, the Leprechaun Museum could talk about their talking about rents Mm -hmm. and landlords. We have a lovely story called Paying the Rent uh, from uh, Monsieur Brendan Atkins and... Lenny, are you feeling the pinch right now? I'm feeling the pinch, Paddy. I bought two sandwiches the other day, and do you know how much it was? How much? It was 20 euros. 20, 20 euros, euros for two sandwiches. That's scandalous. I know. What kind of sandwiches were they? One was a, a tuna toasty, and the other one was veggie. Veggie? So there was yeah, no meat? Yeah, there was there's... no even meat on it. Nice. I, I, I'm sure the tuna is probably endangered like all fish <laughs> at the know, moment. But. Do you know when you're you're so shocked by something that's happened? I would think I was in a, a state of um, disbelief that I just walked away with the two sandwiches and that it was about an hour later I came to and I decided, I said, Jesus, 20 euros. It was a bit like Bishop Brennan being yeah. kicked up the arse. Yeah, that's what like I felt like. You were sitting down. I put a cape on and I ran back up. <laughs> yeah. No, you'd never pay 18 euros for two sandwiches. What are you talking about? Never again. That that makes sense, yeah. Crilly. And uh, what's your favourite type of sandwich? Oh, um, have you ever, you've been to New York, have you? Uh, No. No? no. They have these like huge deli sandwiches that they do in New York. So it has like pastrami and Ooh. pickles and cheese and they're like these huge sandwiches or like these huge bagels mm. but if i'm going for this for like the favorite i'm going bagel cream cheese salmon avocado Ooh. very millennial of me yes yeah. yes but i don't There's, care uh, bucket loads of avocados going around it's the reason we it's can't the reason have... I, I can't buy a house yes because we yeah. need so much so much avocado and uh tell me uh what about the food in Irish folklore? Do you know stories about food in Irish folklore? Yeah, it's always fairly grim. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's always some form of a potato that's been boiled, mixed yeah, in yeah. with a parsnip or a piece of ham. And then, but sometimes on the other hand, you get nice cakes. So there's yeah. always like a nice hot cross bun or something perhaps that's going. Um, but there's not a, a wide variety. Yes. This kind, and it's always like the colour of beige yeah yeah and niche niche has been talking recently about the the, the shanglish weaver and with the human skin on the potatoes 
But uh, mm. you might hear about more of that in the Halloween that show. Seems, that's a bit more hipstery. I don't know if I'd be yeah. leaning towards that now. Human skin potatoes that bleed when you cut into them. Yeah, it's is pretty grim. Um, but then there's the great potato, whose story I will uh, now retell in its entirety. <laughs> Paddy's favourite story of all, all time. All 90 minutes of it. No, uh, yeah, it has the cheese and it has uh, the potato, obviously, and the enormous cabbage. Um, but we've, we, we must be feeling a little bit hungry because we started talking about food when we're supposed to be talking about landlords. It's tough having a landlord at the moment in Ireland. The rents are incredibly mm-hmm. high and they're high because there just isn't enough houses out there and... Uh, everyone is quick to to make uh, a book. Who do you think is responsible, then? I blame. Pause. Pause. Long, long, long pause. The government party. Oh, wow. Would you believe? Yeah, yeah. Pray tell. Yeah, they keep telling us at the moment that they have so much extra money. Yeah. And uh, then they don't do anything with that money. Like uh, building a house would be nice. Mm-hmm. We're, get, we're, getting, uh, we're getting political now. Uh, mm. uh, landlords, of course, uh, big in Irish history, uh, because after the penal laws, if an Irish man wanted to inherit his father's land, he had to divide it up with his yeah. brother. So when your dad died, all of the brothers got a section of the land. And this was the, an effort by the powers that be to make sure that the Irish stayed poor. But of course, when you've only got a tiny plot of land, possibly the best thing that you could do with it is sell it to a big landlord who then uh, rents it out to uh, an, another um, uh, another farmer. And the the landlords in the stories, landlords are, are, uh, do all kinds of things in, in, in Irish stories. Some are good. They're not all bad. Mm-hmm. But uh, for the most part, landlords are either being made fun of or they're devilish characters doing mm. all kinds of... Uh, or they get the wrong end of the stick, shall we say, in most stories. Yeah, my my favourite landlord in an Irish story is the one in Bottle, Bottle Hill. Bottle Hill, yeah. Yeah, yeah. because he, he's, he's so easily uh, tricked out of it. This, it must be said also, um, I know it's got nothing to do with landlords, but this is a Kerry story. Mm-hmm. No, it, didn't, it, it only took you six minutes to bring up Kerry, Paddy. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I'm not saying that now because I'm uh, in a premier position, we shall say, in the museum that there is going to be more Kerry-related media <laughs> <laughs> over, over the years here. But, you know, might happen organically. <laughs> Before too long, we'll be selling butter. <laughs> <laughs> that will be made on site by the storytellers. <laughs> yeah. From the purest of milk from Kerry. From the leprechaun's milk. And this is, uh, in particular, not only is this a Kerry story, but it is a Killarney story. Mm-hmm. You've never been to Killarney? No, not in, not since I was a child, not since I can remember, anyway. I love Killarney. I honeymooned in Killarney, if you can believe that. Mm-hmm. Honeymooned in my own county. Uh, love the place. Uh, Michael Fassbender is a famous Killarney man, of course. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. If you've ever seen that marvelous interview, um, yeah, that's brilliant. On uh, Graham Norton, where the the Cork lads are talking to the Kerry lads. But they have a film festival now named that, or is it a school? They have a school down there now, I believe, named after him. They might an do, acting yeah. school. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's very beautiful, and the food is very good in Killarney as well. And this can 
and this story also concerns one of the most famous of uh, Kerry's uh, folklore heroes, the great O'Donoghue, who is said to rise out of the waters of Loch Lane to right the wrongs perpetrated on the people of Killarney. And without any further ado, here is Brendan Atkins with Paying the Rent. We here in Ireland are practitioners of a great time-honoured tradition, absolutely hating our landlords. We hated them in the past, and by God do we hate them today. Back in the past, it was common for landlords and their agents to try their level best to bankrupt you for the privilege of renting a tiny little field from them. And it was only natural that every Irish man dreamed of the day he'd finally get one over on the person who'd been taking most of his earnings for his entire life. It was a fine morning at one of the lakes of Killarney long ago, but Bill Duty wasn't enjoying it one bit. The scorching sunlight might as well have been an icy wind upon his face. The tweeting of the songbirds might as well have been the cawing of carrion crows circling his corpse. He sat upon a rock, his head in his hands, muttering to himself. Oh God, what'll I do? Where'll we go? The rent's due tomorrow and I haven't a penny to my name. We'll all be turfed out on the road. He thumped the ground with his fist, tears pricking at his eyes. And in his frustration... He picked up a rock and threw it into the furze bush beside him. The bush shook from the impact. And then it shook some more. And then, suddenly, a hand emerged, pale and glinting. A second hand appeared from the branches, followed by a head of brown hair. A tall, stately man was now standing in the furze bush, peering at Bill with a curious expression. What's the matter with you, he said. Bill stared at him in wonder. Who was this man? Where had he come from? Why was he in a bush? How wasn't he writhing in pain from a furze bush's worth of thorns being pressed against his backside? Well, Bill just burbled at him, unable to speak for a few moments in shock, before finally replying, Oh, my crops have failed, someone's charmed away my butter, and my landlord will turf me out if I haven't got every penny of my rent by twelve o'clock tomorrow. Oh, a sad story indeed, said the man in the bush. But if you tell it to him, surely he won't have the heart to turn you out. Heart, your honour! Where would a landlord get a heart, exclaimed Bill. I see you don't know him. Besides, he's had an eye on my farm for some time. He wants to give it to his cousin. And he won't do anything to help us. Bill's hat was lying on the ground beside him. And the stranger abruptly grabbed it. Pulling a small purse from his pocket, he opened it. And a stream of gold fell out. Shoving the gold-filled hat into Bill's hands, he gave a grin. Take this. Pay your rent. But don't worry. It won't do your landlord a lick of good. I remember better times in this country when I would have hung up such an awful fellow in the twinkling of an eye. Well, Bill stared at the gold in amazement and he tried to bless the man and thank him, but the stranger from the first bush had vanished. Bill saw him far away, riding a horse across the surface of the lake, and he suddenly realised who it was. O'Donoghue! O'Donoghue! cried Bill, the great Prince O'Donoghue! He knew all the stories of this ancient prince. A wise, just and fair ruler who had gone to live in a great otherworld palace deep within the lake. Sometimes he came back from beneath the waves to help lost travellers and poor people. Knowing now that the otherworld was on his side, while well, he raced home to tell his wife what had happened. He showed her all that gold and they knew that their luck had finally changed. 
The next day, Bill went to his landlord. Not with his hat in his hand, his eyes fixed on the ground and his knees bending under him, but bold and upright, a spring in his step, as if he was a great prince himself. The landlord peered down at him imperiously from behind his desk. Hand over the rent, duty, he snarled. If it's a penny short, I'll have you, your wife, and those little wretches of yours out by nightfall. Well, here you are, sir, said Bill, a grin on his face. Give it accounts and give me my receipt. The landlord expected to see piles of copper coins upon his desk, perhaps a few small silver ones or a grubby banknote barely fit to light a pipe with. He was astonished, therefore, to see Bill produce piles of golden pieces. He counted the money and saw that it was the exact amount. Furious at not being able to ruin him, while well, he wrote out a receipt and pushed it into Bill's hands, slamming the door in the man's face. Bill strutted off home with it, as proud as a cat of her whiskers. Watching him leave, the landlord went back to his desk to count his earnings once more, but stopped, dead in his tracks. For now, on the desk, he could see no shining golden guineas, but instead, just a pile of gingerbread cakes. Each one had the king's head stamped upon it, just like a coin. Well, he raged and he swore he broke half the objects in that office of his, but he'd already given Bill the receipt for the rent, so there was nothing he could do. The parish would just laugh at him if he tried to explain his plight. From that day on, Bill Duty grew rich. All his undertakings prospered. And at night, when he went to bed, he would bless the sunny day in Killarney when he met with O'Donoghue, the prince from beneath the lake. Fabulous retelling there of the rent day by yes. our own Brendan here at the Leprechaun Museum. One thing I have to highlight from this story is the idea of sitting by a field and having a bit of a whinge about something. Yes, That's yes. a common theme now we see in a lot of Irish folktales yeah. where something's gone so drastically wrong in your life and you've just decided to leave the kids, leave the wife and go and sit by a field and have a bit of a cry for the afternoon and then you somehow are introduced from a creature to another world who helps to solve all your issues for you. That's that's true. There was there was well there was generally a lot more hanging out in a field, I imagine. Maybe the whinging. But this is the specificness of whinging by a field. I know people would be out in the field working in the field, playing in the field, but there's so many stories of people just going with the dedicated purpose of having a bit of a moan about things. But if you ever tried to whinge at home in an Irish home, people start throwing things and get up out of that Get yeah. out of the house. If you're going to have a whinge, do it in the field. All right. Well, I'm from the city, so we didn't really have that. Okay. <laughs> Go up to... there to the green where you might get kidnapped <laughs> by a man in a white van. Go to the whinging shed. <laughs> but yeah, there is. There's a surprising... There's, someone should write a master's or something on the topic of whinging in a field. If you think about it, if you think about it really hard... What is a banshee? Only a woman who whinges in a field. Mm. It's just she's doing it late at night, so it's a bit of a surprise. Yeah. And screaming, if you think about it, screaming is just very loud whinging, if you think about it. Yeah, you have a lot of time to think about that, don't you? 
Now, it's fair to say that whinging in a field is an unusual trope, uh, despite the fact that it's rather common. It's still uh, very strange that a trope in Irish storytelling is the act of going into a field to have a bit of a whinge, such as in the story of the play sham, also contains someone going into a field to have a bit of a whinge. But this story generally um, contains even though it is quite short, this story generally contains a lot of Irish tropes. Yeah. Is there anyone in particular that, that sticks out for you? Having no money. Yes. Throwing an object into a field or into a forest and it hitting off either a creature of the she or entering the she itself. Yes. Like we see in the, the story, The Man in the Coffin, one of Eddie Lenehan's stories, where the goose is hit, falls into the fort, he goes into the fort to retrieve the goose and is cursed. So yeah, it is fairly common to, to throw things into the she and for things to go uh, wrong from there. But it was very common in rural parts that if something went into the she, then it was gone forever. Yeah. You just, you just didn't go in there because awful things uh, would happen. Um, but, you know, we, we do talk a lot at the moment about landlords and landlordism and whether being a, a small landlord in Ireland is profitable or, or who's to blame. Uh, but it is, it is very strange to me that as a theme in uh, myth, legend, folklore, modern history, it's so constant. Mm -hmm. This, uh, this um, dislike of, of landlords and the idea of being the owner of a property. Are we all secret communists or something? Mm. And I do think as well, you know, there's always uh, a common theme through, you know, uh, folk tales in general. If you go onto like the Dukas uh, pages on the schools collection and you type in landlords, there is hundreds and hundreds of accounts of stories as well of, you know, your landlord being spiteful in relation to you, you having an interaction that it, it takes you to go something that is beyond yourself into yes. the other world, into the place of magic to be able to resolve that issue. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And there, there, there's something very un-Irish about the state of being a landlord in the sense that it's almost like having notions. It's like yeah. you're saying you're trying to say that I am. you have to respect your landlord because he owns the house. Or at mm -hmm. least you have to respect him to his face. Yeah. Um, but the uh, the putting yourself above other people as better is something very un-Irish. So mm -hmm. I, I imagine landlords become a natural target because of how we uh, how we view having notions. Generally. Yeah, like I think if you took the story that Brendan tells of Rent Day and you just changed some elements of it to suit a young yeah. person standing at the spire who's worried about not being able to pay their rent, you would not be able to tell that that's a story from the nineteenth, the early 19th century. Because <laughs> exactly, it's exactly yeah. the same. Yeah. Nothing much has changed. And the system of ownership within like landlordism hasn't really changed in Ireland since the 1800s. So it's just a, a, a retelling of the same story in a different time period and just yeah. with different different clothing essentially now the ghost of Kerry's greatest chieftain coming out of the the waters of the lake yeah. might be a bit unusual but but i love that as well it's one of my favorite stories is the the idea of an enchanted lake and something being in the bottom of it and coming out and again you have the uh that trope of throwing something hitting the other world and something coming out yes 
Yes. Because the, the story in and of itself is just one giant trope. You know, yeah. it is really fundamentally uh, the most basic folk tale you can really tell in Ireland. Yeah, it has it's... everything involved. You know, yeah. you've got food, the idea of a magic embodiment of water, the idea of a leprechaun coming out, and then the idea of what's taken from the other world, as you're yeah. saying, can never be there. So when he goes home, of course, yeah. there is nothing to be found, only crumbs of cake. But there's also the kind of the hero element of it that almost the Irish needed the hero to come back from the dead. Yeah, to, to save them. Yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. there's a Robin Hoodness to it, I find, yeah. of taking from the person that has all and given to the person who has nothing, yeah. who is not deserving of the of the punishment from the landlord, you know. And there's even a, a furze bush. Now, for the le- for the listeners who've never seen a furze bush, uh, there's an old uh, phrase, the, fur- the kissing is out of season when the furze is out of bloom. That's because if you've ever seen a furze bush, it pretty much blooms all year round, mm. these beautiful little yellow flowers. And if I had two euros for every Irish story that mentioned a furze bush, I'd be a very, very wealthy man. Mm. I'd have at least two euros. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> more than I have today. Uh, but yeah, the, the O'Donoghue, the ghost standing in the first bush. And then the horse. Mm. There has to be a horse. There has to be a horse in every folktale ever told. Now, famously, you don't like horses. No, famously, I um, dislike them to the point of running away anytime I see them. I don't trust them. And I think yes. I'd never tell them a secret. And yes. I'd never go near them. I think they are so strong and powerful and they're just idiots. Like yeah, this idea yeah. that horses are intelligent to me is absolute tripe. I, I, I think they're so frightened by everything. And because they're so they're so powerful, it makes me very frightened of them getting scared. I don't go anywhere near them. What about a Shetland pony? Yeah, that's fine. That's Shetland fine. pony's fine. And of course, famously, one of my favorite animals is a donkey. Oh yeah. So I do really yeah. love donkeys, but horses I'm, I'm not going anywhere near them. And people who are into horses, um I'm watching. <laughs> I'm watching. Yeah, I'm it's not very into it's it. like it's it, you're so skittish. I I just want to say hello, Mr. Horse. Yeah. I want to give you an apple or a sugar cube or something and suddenly you're terrified. Yeah. And you're And I understand the importance of them, you know, it, culturally up yes. until like the twenties. They were, you know, the main form of transport for thousands of years. They they were expensive. And, you know, people often talk about how uh, dirty uh, the smoke from their from cars makes the city centre, how much it pollutes the air. But you forget that before the motor car came into the city Mm centre, then there was there was horse dung everywhere. Yeah. You know, the reason a lot of the Georgian houses in Dublin are up a little staircase over a moat with little uh, railings around them, is it was, you were keeping the dung, Mm. all of the mountains of horse dung, and people had to go around and collect it as well at the end of the day. It was your job. Something you don't see highlighted in the folktale is anything to do with the amount of dung that was probably around. (laughs) But if there was any famous prince or famous warrior they always had a magic horse attached to them, or a magic boar or some type of magic animal. And there's lots of stories about the O'Donoghue, like Killarney is, uh, uh, Ross was the was the area of the chieftain in Killarney, and the O'Donoghue is its famous son. And of course, there was a very famous O'Donoghue in Parliament in in London in the nineteenth century. So 
there was a lot of folk tales came out at that time mm-hmm. of bigging up the O'Donoghue fa- family because they were in politics and there's a very famous O'Donoghue poet as well so for all the O'Donoghues out there who might be listening to the podcast uh, in America, Australia or beyond you have some very very famous um, ancestors and it's a great pub as well alright yeah O'Donoghue's is a fabulous pub Where's where's O'Donoghue's again? There's two in town. There's one near Molly, and then there's oh, one yes, I think further yeah. on. It's black and white yeah. painted. Yeah, yeah, I know what the food is good there, and uh, they do good uh, pub grub there. Um, the underworld pa- palace under uh, the palace inside in the lake. Uh, yeah. that again is a, is another yeah trope. common trope to either fall in, and you yourself discover a, an underwater place filled with magical beings famously irish uh, underwater fairies meros had beautiful houses underneath the sea yeah. and the idea of something also coming out of the water is quite common in most irish stories as well that water held uh, secrets magic other beings other places and for something to come out of it was yeah pretty standard yeah and um, another uh, Kerry story is flory cantlin's yeah. funeral where the meros come out of the sea because the cantlin's uh, grave uh, site was was under the water and they had agreed to promise to bury uh, Flory uh, in her own in her family grave um, the the thing about that interests me about uh, the, these o- other world palaces is that you can actually see some of them in the mod in modern times you know where a dam is created like a, mm. like at um um, Ahanish, I believe. Um, yeah, Ahanish is the is the dam, uh, where the village is under the water, and you can and it's there. It's there's something very beautiful about it. Mm-hmm. So very, even when it happens in reality and in very and maybe some people saw drowned villages yeah. in their own uh, history. There's something very beautiful and very otherworldly about it. And there, there's something that has to be said for the idea of escapism, of going somewhere that is beyond where you live, of your own mundane life that's uh, pretty difficult and pretty pretty shit, really. Yes. To be able to dream of somewhere that's better and that you can attain you know, a better quality of life and something that's beyond yourself. Um, I think it is a, a prominent trope through Irish folklore to be able to want to go to a different place than where you already are the yeah. idea of uh, other as yeah and, and we are thinking that uh, we are thinking at the moment of an ireland where there is enough housing for everybody uh where people can afford to pay rent when people when students can afford to go to college colleges in ireland for undergraduates are free but people still can't afford to go to college because they can't afford the rent in in our cities. Mm-hmm. You know, the, a friend of mine um, had to turn down their place recently mm-hmm. because they just couldn't find anywhere to live yeah. in Dublin. It it's crazy uh, the the cost for for students and that they can't afford a place in which to live. And it was crazy as well in famine times. And you hear a lot of the stories in the west of Ireland. Tom, uh, our museum director, tells a story about a landlord who not only uh, uh, evicted people uh, very quickly when they couldn't pay their rent, but he collected the lintels from over the doors of their houses. Mm -hmm. So every time he um, evicted someone, 
he knocked down their house so that they couldn't go back mm-hmm. to the house. Nobody could ever yeah. live there again. But then he kept the lintels and collected them in his yard. Mm-hmm. And to this day, the sun, this is a real place. The sun has all of the lintels and you can go and view them uh, as a kind of uh, famine experience. Mm-hmm. Because wow, I haven't heard of that. And as well, like the 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 landlords, uh, both now and during famine times, were were, for a large part, were landlords that were in another country. Yeah. So they were in England or in Parliament, even in England, and then they had agents whose job it was yeah. to get them the best, uh, to get them the best money for their land, and mm-hmm. they had no connection, to the people that actually lived in their houses. Yeah. So it is, maybe it's very... It's the same here as well. Yeah, and <laughs> it's exactly Airbnb. the same. You know, uh, that artist that recently got uh, uh, in trouble for depicting uh, the Gardaí in, uh, in a painting of the famine, he wasn't really saying that uh, the... Uh, he, he wasn't really saying that Gardaí are bad people. He was saying that the country is broken. Mm. Uh, when uh, the police service is being used to to come into these situations, but I'm getting a little We're, bit yeah a little bit too political now, um, so let's change the topic drastically, and talk about buns. Yes, let's talk about buns, and by buns we mean cakes. 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 Yes, there's always a lovely cake to be had in a good Irish folk tale. There is. Uh, in this case, it is in replacement of gold or silver. Again, coming back to well, gold in this story, but coming back to the idea of not being able to take something from the other world into our world. Uh, famously, the leprechaun had two purses: one a gold and one a silver. Uh, if you took the gold out, it turned to sand, and if you took the silver out, it turned to dust. So very similar to what we have in this story here of the gold turning into gingerbread. I like gingerbread and I like gingerbread cakes and muffins and things. Do you like gingerbread? I've had a gingerbread man. You've like had the Chris- oh, yeah, yeah, Christmas, yeah. Christmas ones. Other yeah. than that, I don't think I've ever had a, a ginger cake. Um, Not something I'd gravitate towards. I eat a lot of ginger biscuits. Right, okay. My uh, old woodwork teacher used to recommend them for seasickness. Okay, is that real? <laughs> yeah, and it was. It does work, actually, ginger uh, ginger biscuits for seasickness. Because famously, as a child, you were on the sea. Uh, well, uh, my <laughs> my mother comes from salmon fisheries people. Ah, okay. So, yeah, and uh, we used to go out to Scattery Island so in the right. Shannon. Yeah. So, yeah, I did spend a bit of time on, on a boat as a kid. Yeah. Saline Pier is where we took the boat out from to Scattery Island. Yeah, and there was there was one there was one day, and uh, I, I had two life jackets on because I was petrified, and the waves were roaring up, and the they are in a lie pulled in beside us, and they were like, "What are you doing out in the water today?" Because the the water there off North Kerry is some of the deepest in Europe. Mm-hmm. That's why they want to put a big, um, gas terminal there because you can you can have really big tankers pull in mm-hmm. and when i was a child i used to watch the the, the tankers coming up and down the the shannon mm-hmm. because the waves then would get higher as the huge boats came up from uh, north africa mm-hmm. but enough about me what do you think about me 
<laughs> That's Paddy's only and favourite joke. Yeah, yeah, my only, my only joke. The rest is a cry for help. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, I can't think of a better place to uh, end that for the day. Thank you very much uh, for joining us. I was Paddy Holly. I was joined by the fabulous Leanne Bickerdyke, and you were very, very good listeners. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the National Leprechaun Museum's Talking Stories podcast. Remember, the best way to support us is by liking, subscribing and sharing with a friend.